MacCast, Wednesday, May 10th, 2023. This episode of the MacCast is brought to you by ZocDoc. More on them later in the show. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another week of Apple hints, tips, tricks, all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. I got some news thrown in there, too. Uh, how you doing? I hope you are doing quite, quite well. Things are going great around here. It is well into spring at this point. I think we've got summer maybe looming right around the corner. We've got some nice warm days uh, this this past week. So you able to spend some time outside, hang out with family. Hopefully you've been enjoying yourself as well. We have um, a little bit of Mac news and things to get into. Not a lot for this episode. Uh, a lot of you might be out running around or, or doing things away from your computer. I don't know. I'm not getting a lot of... Uh, feedback we're hearing from a lot of people recently may just be a sign of the times or maybe you just don't have uh, a lot of tech questions right now but uh, hopefully what it is is many of you are out enjoying um, spring and and just having a good time and what have you but uh, we do have a few questions Uh, we also have some news to get into we're going to talk about uh, Apple's quarterly earnings they had their latest quarterly earnings call Uh, we've got uh, new finance stuff from Apple to talk about. We're going to get into a partnership with Google and Apple. Yeah, that was something interesting that happened this past week. We'll talk about iPhone 15 and um, some new iPad apps that I think many of you in our community are going to be likely excited about. And that'll round out the news for this week. And then I want to talk a little bit about iOS and the user interface. Uh, get a, a question from a listener and try and help him out. And then uh, I have uh, some things I want to talk about related to AI and AI technologies and keeping us all safe in our community. And that will round out this episode of the MacCast. So it should be a good one. I say we just dive right in, starting off with some of Apple's uh, financial stuff. Actually, a couple of financial news stories here at the top. Uh, One specifically about Apple and one more about uh, helping us save some money. So Apple did have its quarterly earnings uh, this past week. They made the announcement of their second quarter of 2023. And I would say not too surprisingly, it uh, was a little bit lower than it has been. Uh, The numbers weren't outstanding. But I'm going to say overall, it was it was okay. It wasn't really too bad. There were actually even a few little highlights, a few little positive things. But in general, PC industry, as you may or may not know, we've talked a little bit on the show, is just in a little bit of a decline. They kind of had a boom when uh, everybody started going remote and, and working from home and that sort of stuff. So there was kind of a big increase, and now things are tapering off a little bit. I think the other thing... And I think we've talked about this a little bit as well. My general feeling is that the technology has just gotten really good. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I am not clamoring to get a new Mac anytime soon or a new iPad. I tend to get a new iPhone every year, but that's just me because 
you know, I do this show and, and, and uh, I like to have a new iPhone and plus we cycle them through my family. So everybody kind of gets upgrade every year. It's kind of a fun little event. And so just something I've been doing, but yeah, overall, not in the market for a Mac, uh, even though there's M1 systems out there, or M2 systems now, I'll probably dive in maybe with an M3, but I think a lot of us are kind of in that same boat and, and it's just everything our Macs do everything for us that we want them to do I think overall so I think the numbers kind of reflect that kind of state of things and how things are going but uh overall like I said they did pretty well net revenue of 94.8 billion with a net quarterly profit of 24.1 billion so still some big numbers there but that profit was down just a tad um, from the 25 billion, just over 25 billion they did in the same quarter last year. So a little bit down in terms of the net quarterly profit. Uh, when you look at revenue by category, Apple doesn't really uh, go into specifics in terms of unit sales, but uh, they do kind of break down revenue by the various categories. So you have iPhones at uh, 51.33 billion. That was actually up 2% year over year. So a little bit of growth in the iPhone. That was one of those positive highlights. Uh, then you have the Mac business. And again, I think this reflects what we were just talking about. 7.17 billion, but that's down 31%. And uh, the lowest Mac numbers we've seen since 2020. So uh, definitely a downturn in Mac sales. iPad was a similar story. 6.67 billion, down 13%. Again, the lowest numbers for iPad since 2020. In wearables, home, and accessories, they did 8. 76 billion in revenue and then services continues to kind of be the shining star 20.91 billion up five percent year over year and setting an overall record for apple services and then apple also did note that their subscriber numbers um, they don't break down the different services they just talk about total subscriber numbers people paying for icloud services or paying for apple services like apple music apple tv plus and all that sort of stuff one they're approaching or getting close to 1 billion paid subscribers. So numbers definitely going up uh, for services, and that continues to be a growth part of Apple's business. So again, I don't think a whole lot of surprising stuff coming out of this quarterly announcement, but overall, Apple doing all right, and uh, looking forward to kind of seeing what they have next, right? We've been talking about what we might see at Worldwide Developer Conference, maybe the next big thing in terms of this Apple AR VR headset. We will have to wait and see. Apple's new savings program has turned out to be quite popular, at least according to some of the early sign-up numbers. I think we talked about this in the last episode that Apple brought out their savings plan that's tied into Apple Card. So if you have an Apple Card uh, in the U.S., you can sign up for a savings plan with Golden, Goldman Sachs uh, or a savings account, rather, and have your Apple Cash transferred over. And then you can also transfer in money. Um, from your attached bank. And the big news here is that they're issuing a high interest rate account. So you can get up to right now, I think 4.15% interest rate. And so that apparently has enticed a lot of Apple fans to sign up, myself included. I, I went ahead and signed up. It was really easy. Just did it through the app. 
And I think a lot of people did exactly the same thing because Forbes reported that just after four days of the Goldman Sachs high yield interest rate Apple savings account being available to Apple Card users, there had been over $1 billion in deposits amongst 240,000 accounts by the end of the launch week, suggesting that the average savings balance was about $4,000 per customer. Now, I didn't quite deposit that much yet, but uh, I could see why people would want to put more money in at that interest rate. So that is proving to be uh, very successful for Apple. And as a matter of fact, at the quarterly results call, Tim Cook commented that uh, the response to Apple's new card savings feature has been quote unquote incredible. So uh, check that out if you hadn't had a chance to do that yet. Normally, I think it's safe to say that Apple and Google are really worlds apart when it comes to the subject of tracking. So it was kind of interesting this week when we had a story that the two companies are coming together to submit a new proposal for an industry specification around personal device trackers like Apple's AirTag. Uh, They have a new initiative where they want to make the devices safer and uh, really are focusing on trying to reduce unwanted tracking. Uh, A big criticism of Apple's AirTags have been that they are being used for stocking. Apple has built, as we've talked about on the show, a lot of security features into AirTags to prevent that. We have multiple stories of that working very, very successfully. Uh, One of the downsides of that, though, is it's really not cross-compatible with other devices. A lot of the features aren't cross-compatible. You can get some of it uh, with Android devices and AirTags, but it's just not really easy to do. So Apple and Google are trying to change that. Uh, They submitted a proposal to the Internet Engineering Task Force this week. That's a standard organization, and uh, it is going to be, this proposal is going to be the subject of a comment period over the next couple of weeks, and hopefully will be something that gets Uh, adopted. Um, The spec, if it is adopted, is going to allow Bluetooth location tracking devices like AirTags to be cross-device compatible for things like tracking unauthorized or detecting unauthorized uh, tracking and doing being able to do alerts cross-platform. So that would include iOS and Android. So that'll be really nice if that gets picked up and And it's good to see that at least Apple can come together and agree that it's really important that we protect ourselves in terms of our safety when it comes to tracking devices. As we move towards summer, we are also getting closer to our next iPhone release, likely expected in the fall, the iPhone 15. And we continue to get reports that at least some of the new iPhone 15 features are going to be exclusive to certain models, specifically the iPhone 15 Pro Max, and more specifically, a lot of the advanced camera features like the periscope telephoto lens. Uh, In case you hadn't heard this before, I know we've talked about it on the show, Um, a periscope telephoto lens is a technique where they take the lens uh, basically the lenses, stack them inside the device in kind of a 
what they call a folded fashion, basically think at a 90 degree angle to the external lens and the sensor and use mirrors. And this allows you to get a greater optical telephoto range without needing a big external telephoto lens. So they kind of compact everything inside the device rather than having a big lens on the outside of the device. And this means that you can get a better optical zoom. Apple's kind of late to the party with this technology. There's a number of other uh phones from manufacturers out there, but we continue to get leaks that claim that Apple will this year offer up to a 5 to 6x optical zoom, potentially all the way up to a 10x optical zoom on this year's iPhone 15, but there's more and more confirmation that that feature is likely going to be exclusive to the Pro Max model. So if you want the highest end camera features, you're going to have to go for the highest end phone. And this is kind of a trend that Apple's been moving into, um, really separating features and trying to kind of differentiate those product lines, but also I think in ways try to entice people to buy more expensive and larger iPhones. Better for Apple's bottom line, maybe not better for our wallets if we want all the latest and greatest features. But if you really care about uh, photography with your iPhone, Pro Max model is probably going to be the one that you're going to be looking at this year, or at least that's what Apple wants you to uh, to look at. And we continue to also get some uh, pretty cool mock-ups and uh, kind of speculative photos and images on what this year's iPhone might look like. It's expected to have a little bit more of a rounded design on the Pro side of things, kind of some higher-end materials. We're hearing we, we might get titanium frames, that sort of stuff. And one of the big features that are, is coming reportedly to the Pro models that a number of people are looking forward to is ultra-thin bezels. And we kind of got to look at that. They look surprisingly thin if they turn out to be true, and it basically gets us closer to that place where the whole entire front of the device is just the screen. And so it'll be interesting to see what that looks like when Apple actually unveils it again, hopefully this fall. And then another device that should be coming around that same time frame is potentially an updated Apple Watch, Apple Watch Series 9. Uh, this week, Mark Gurman made a comment in his recent newsletter that Apple may finally be updating the Apple Watch with a new processor, something that hasn't happened since 2020. They've been using the same processor design. He thinks this could possibly be based on an A15 design to bring a lot more performance to the Apple Watch what Apple is going to do with all that extra performance. Who really knows, but expect Apple Watch to be faster, better. Um, I'm sure that's going to help more with the Apple Watch Ultra. Don't know if we'll get a new version of that this year as well, but we'll have to wait and see. So Apple Watch fans, this may be uh, this may be the year to upgrade, especially if Apple's going to come out with some new silicon in there. So uh, those all kind of on the horizon, again, probably for that fall time frame. And then finally, in the news for this week, something that we've been expecting Apple to do for a long, long time, something for you pro video and audio editors out there and fans of the iPad, Apple finally announced that they're bringing versions of their pro apps to the iPad. Final Cut Pro and Logic Pro are going to arrive on the iPad later this month. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news for those of you who don't like subscriptions is that you're going to need to buy a subscription to use them. They are going to be subscription-based apps. Apple says the iPad versions will 
quote, bring all new touch interfaces that allow users to enhance their workflows with the immediacy and intuitiveness of multi-touch. Specifically, there are some kind of exciting and key features. Uh, Looking at Final Cut Pro, there's going to be a digital jog wheel to let you navigate the magnetic timeline. They're going to have a live drawing feature that will allow you to draw directly on top of your video content using the Apple Pencil. So that'll be kind of cool for especially, I think, like tutorial videos and stuff like that. Um, They're going to have support for some of the new hover features that Apple added to the Apple Pencil that'll allow you to do things like skim the timeline with a hover or preview footage. They're going to have a scene removal mask tool that is driven by machine learning. So you'll be able to do background removal without needing to do green screen. Um, There's going to be a pro camera mode that's going to let you shoot video directly into Final Cut Pro. And those are just some of the cool features that I kind of picked out. There's a bunch of other stuff coming in there. And then over on the audio side for Logic Pro, you're going to have support for multi-touch gestures for editing and uh, playing software instruments. They're going to have Apple Pencil support in there as well for doing much more accurate edits and kind of navigating your tracks. Um, Both Final Cut Pro and Logic Pro are going to have, of course, keyboard support if you have attached keyboard with all keyboard shortcuts and those sorts of things. And then Logic Pro is also going to let you capture audio directly into Logic Pro. As far as where pricing goes, each app is going to cost $4.99 per month or $50 a year, $49.99 US per year, and offer a one-month free trial. So I think that's actually a very reasonable price for a pro-level app, even on subscription. That seems good to me. Um, I'd love to get your opinion. I know, again, there's some strong opinions about subscription-based apps in the community, but I think it's kind of the trend we're moving to, uh, have been moving to for a while. I have a lot of subscription-based apps, and I'm actually kind of happy to pay the subscriptions for the ones that I really do use. And I like the features because you get constant updates, constant new features, not having to kind of repay all at once you just kind of get new features as they come along and so it's worked out for me for the most part and i think overall the uh the amount that you're spending is not a lot more because the monthly subscription costs tend to be a little bit lower now you don't get the luxury of being able to skip versions which is something that i think people really liked about uh, sort of the one-time purchase model and uh, you can kind of choose if you want that upgrade or those new features so you kind of lose that functionality so i get that part of it but yeah be curious to know what what to know what you think about apple kind of really releasing i think these are their first kind of full subscription based apps I'm trying to think if they have any others but i can't think of any off the top of my head so i'll be very interested in this it'll be interesting to see if uh, I transition to Logic Pro from GarageBand on my iPad, I really don't use GarageBand on the iPad too much. Obviously, I use GarageBand a lot to produce this show on the Mac, and I love GarageBand on the Mac. Never kind of gotten into Logic, but maybe maybe the iPad app will, will get me there. We'll have to wait and see. Um, as far as the kind of hardware you're going to need to run the apps, if you want Final Cut, you're going to need at least an M1 iPad or newer Logic Pro is going to require an iPad with an A12 Bionic or newer. So a little lower requirements, obviously, for audio than there is for the video. The apps are going to be available for purchase on the App Store starting Tuesday, May 23rd. So that's uh, next week. Is that next week? Yeah, I think that's, yeah. (laughs) No, in two weeks, rather. 
So in about two weeks, uh, you'll be able to get Final Cut Pro and uh, Logic Pro for the iPad, which is really pretty cool. And potentially taking it even further, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman already tweeted out some speculation that because there is a rumor that the Apple AR VR headset, and again, I think we talked about this previously, will supposedly be able to run iPad OS apps kind of in a virtual environment, that there's a possibility that these new versions of the Pro apps, Final Cut Pro and Logic Pro for iPad, could potentially run on the AR VR headset. I would imagine they'd be tweaked a little bit to kind of be optimized for that. That I think could bring out some really interesting content creation scenarios, especially with augmented reality to kind of overlay and maybe be shooting video and, and editing video all in this kind of augmented reality space might be very, very interesting. I don't know. And maybe even with, with music, I don't know if you could, uh, if they could add a feature where different, it could use maybe AI to recognize different objects in an environment and turn those actually into instruments and have those generate sounds based on maybe material or what the object is, something like that. And that could create a really interesting, interesting audio space or audio experience, I think. So we'll have to wait and see, but yeah, it gets, it gets your kind of mind going when, uh, this stuff comes up, right? It's like, imagine Final Cut Pro in uh, in AR or imagine Logic Pro or any audio editing app in AR. And what does that actually look like? So if you're thinking about that and you have some ideas, share, share your thoughts with us. Send me an email, send me an audio comment, matcast at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank one of my show sponsors, and that is ZocDoc. You know, to be honest, I am probably not that great when it comes to my own medical care. And if you're like me, you can fall into the trap when you're feeling a little odd or off or you're feeling sick that you run to the internet and you kind of try to self-diagnose your symptoms instead of just calling a doctor because that can be kind of a pain. And yeah, I think we all learned that that's a pretty bad idea, checking the internet. So part of the issue for me, again, was finding a good doctor who I could actually see in a timely fashion. That was always frustrating. So now that's why I use ZocDoc. They have thousands of medical professionals on ZocDoc who are there to help you when you need them, and they can provide the expert medical care that you need. No more questionable diagnoses from some random internet site and no more doctor roulette or scouring the internet for questionable reviews. That's because, like millions of other people, you can use ZocDoc's app for free to find and book a doctor in your neighborhood, one who is patient-reviewed and fits your needs and schedule just right. Just go to ZocDoc.com slash MacCast to download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash MacCast. ZocDoc.com slash MacCast. And a big thank you to ZocDoc for their support of the show. 
Let's kick off the back half of the show with a question from a listener. Brett emailed me uh, this little audio comment, and here is what he wanted to talk about. Hi, Adam. Brett from Coachella Valley, California. Your talking points about exercise this week reminded me of a question I've had for some time. So this is about the iPhone user interface and how small some of the buttons are. I've got an iPhone 13 Pro Max, which is, as you know, the biggest screen you can get. And still, the some of the buttons are ridiculously small. They're designed, it seems, as if you're sitting and not moving. And then it's as long as you're in that state, it's easy to hit buttons. Like, let's say the Apple Music app. The play and pause buttons are really small compared to the size of the screen. If you're sitting down and not moving, it's easy to hit the buttons. But when you're exercising, like I do on the elliptical machine every day, and you're moving around, it's practically impossible to hit a button like pause and play uh, while you're moving around. Part of the problem, as I said, is the size of the buttons. But maybe a bigger problem is that the screen wants to move right and left whenever you try to hit a button. Is there a way to minimize that screen movement so the buttons are more likely to be successfully pressed when you're moving around? Anyway, I hope that question makes sense. If you've experienced this, you probably know exactly what I mean. Uh, but I appreciate it, and have a great day. Hey, Brad, I think uh, anybody who has used a touchscreen device has probably experienced exactly what you're talking about, especially the things like moving around, like accidentally tripping a, a touch gesture or something like that when you didn't mean to. It's kind of the equivalent of accidentally triggering a keyboard gesture or keyboard shortcut, I think, when you didn't mean to. And I know what you mean about the size of uh, buttons, and actually, Apple does have uh, guidelines. They have UX guidelines to kind of dictate how small or the small size a button can really be, the minimum target size. And I think they, they call it like 44 by 44 points. Uh, they use a point system uh, because of different, you know, screen resolutions in terms of retina displays and stuff like that. But um, they do have a they do have a guideline, and I would assume they stick to it. But I don't think they actually always do. What's interesting is you specifically citing sort of the music app in there, um, and I know specifically what you mean about the music app especially kind of the default mode. So when you're in browsing the music app, you find a track and you click something to play, right? The little player that comes up at the bottom of the screen, I think is the one that you're talking about that has the really small UI touch points. And because of that, um, I actually use the music app specifically. I swipe up on that interface to kind of go into that larger, I call it the lyrics view. It's where you can get, you know, the, the lyrics to the song um, among some other features, I think, but really there you get the album art and then you get the much larger buttons. And I also think that the lock screen itself, sometimes I'll just lock my phone because that has a better interface and that's less likely to move around too. So I don't know if you're doing that while you work out my my phone tends to, I think, automatically go to the lock. So it'll be in lock mode, although I guess it technically kind of unlocks with face ID and then 
the gestures start to work and it moves around. So that could also be incredibly frustrating. So I don't know of any specific way to kind of lock gestures or I couldn't really think of one other than I imagine something you could do is you could try to use the accessibility settings and specifically use what Apple calls guided access. And I don't know if you ever tried this. It's really, it's designed to kind of limit access within a specific app or even the ability to leave a specific app so that, uh, you know, if you had uh, motor issues or basically if you just wanted to for um, uh, a young child or something that sort of lock out access so they, they couldn't get out of an app or they could only click certain buttons in an app, you can use guided access to do that. So I would imagine you could do this for like the music app while you're working out. So if you go into settings accessibility on your device, um, scroll down kind of toward the bottom of the list and you'll find guided access and you can turn on guided access. Now this can be a little bit tricky to use, so you might want to play around with it first, but I'll kind of do my best to describe it here. Um, basically once you turn on guided access, what it'll do is when you triple click the side button, when you're in an app, it will activate or go into the guided access sort of setup mode. And within that mode, then what you can do, well, first thing it's going to do is it's going to lock that app. So that's the only app that you're going to be able to access and use until you disable guided access. And then within guided access, you'll be able to draw on the screen, basically draw out areas that you don't want to be active. So in the case of the music app, you might draw around, you know, the main portion of the screen and then draw around the areas outside where the play pause buttons are so that essentially the play pause button is the only thing and skip forward button. Those buttons are the only buttons that are actually able to be clicked on or tapped on and accessed. So you could do that and sort of lock out all other areas. That means any other gestures and things aren't going to work. You can also just turn off, I think, general gestures, and there's some other settings in there that you can play around with. And so once you've done that, if you haven't set it up already, guided access will make you enter a passcode because to get out of guided access mode, uh, you have to enter a passcode. And you can also set it up so that you can end it with face ID um, from the settings. But uh, just very important <laughs> when you set this passcode, don't forget the passcode because you're not going to be able to get out of guided access without it. So be careful, again, using this feature <laughs> with great power <laughs> comes uh, great responsibility, right? So be responsible about it, know what you're getting into. But basically, then you enter guided access mode and now you're locked to just that app and just those areas that you've left open to be accessible to clicks and taps and things like that. So um, you can use it in that mode. And then when you're done, you just triple tap or triple click the side button on your device again. That will end the guided access mode. You'll have to enter the passcode or use face ID to end it. And then it will put you back into kind of the setting screen. And then you can end the guided access session or adjust the options. And I think it will remember guided access settings for kind of each app that you go into. So you can try that. That would one be one thing to try out and maybe, maybe that'll work for you, but I'm sure there might be some other tips, tricks that, uh, members of our community have. So if you do have a tip or trick about kind of 
uh, dealing with user interfaces or smaller targets, especially I, this this idea of kind of moving around, like even just exercising or walking, I think we've all run into this issue. So I think we can all relate exactly to what you're talking about, Brett. So hopefully the community has some good additional tips and tricks. Um, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. So send those emails and audio comments to mechcast at gmail.com. So I have to be really honest and at, at, at the risk of maybe losing my nerd cred a little bit, um, I have not been messing around with, like many people are, uh, these new AI chatbots, things like GPT chat. I, I played around a little bit with it when it was added to the Carrot Weather app. Um, and it's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, I obviously know about it. I've watched videos about it. I've watched other people using it. I just haven't really dove into it head first. Like a lot of you actually have, as a matter of fact, Dave Hamilton over at, uh, at Mac geek gab is totally into this stuff. And I have conversations with him about it and he's super jazzed and excited about it and, and using it quite a bit. So I haven't kind of fallen into that yet, and as a as a developer, that's a little bit hard for me to admit, but I just I haven't had time to really dig in. And I've seen a lot of the amazing stuff that's being done, um, especially around audio and video, um, simulating using AI to replicate voices. Uh, that can sound very much, if not exactly, like the original person. And this is both amazing and completely terrifying, right? I think we've already seen some songs put out that, you know, it sounds exactly like your favorite artist, but it's not your favorite artist. It's all AI. And a lot of people are looking at this very closely. And there was kind of a, a, a McAfee research thing that came out this week talking about voice cloning and um, the fact that a lot of voice cloning tools now can deliver up to 90 95% accuracy when it comes to replicating someone's voice. Obviously, you need to have sort of source material and stuff to train that. But the more we share on social media and the more stuff that's out there, and if you're like me, you're a podcaster with hundreds, if not thousands of hours of audio of your voice out there, this can start to be a little bit frightening. Again, maybe exciting because maybe someday I can get an AI bot to kind of take over the Mac cast when I decide to retire. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of kidding. Or, or am I? We'll have to wait and find out, but uh, no, being more serious uh, about this, you know, uh, like all technologies, and new technology and stuff like that. Technology can be used for good or for evil. So I don't think this is really anything new. I think it's something to definitely discuss and talk about in our community. It's definitely something that you want to talk to your friends and family about. But I wanted to kind of talk about the more evil uses of this just to say that I think we really need to be careful out there, just like we would with like viruses and and malware and stuff like that, because we're starting to see some of these technologies being used for very, very sophisticated scams. And I heard about some of this stuff that was going on this week and people being scammed by these audio 
audio AI technologies. Basically, you get a phone call and it sounds exactly like a family member and they're asking for help. They're saying they're in trouble. They're asking you to send money, you know, all these sort of things. And so I wanted to kind of talk about this, open it up to the community, get your thoughts and opinions on it and talk about what we can do to make sure that we're staying safe. And I think the conversation kind of comes back to the same kind of conversation we have around malware and spyware and, and viruses and stuff like that. And it's ultimately at the end of the day, let, you know, you need to really kind of use your common sense. I think we all internally have a, you know, I'm going to call it a spidey sense, but just an intuition or alarm bells that go off when something's happening and it just feels off or feels weird, right? And I've learned, and I think a lot of us need to learn to kind of trust that feeling and know that it's okay when you're kind of feeling that to question things and be, you know, be a little bit suspicious. And that's the sort of thing that can ultimately, I think, save you from potentially being scammed. And so definitely rely on that. Um, but I think another thing is, again, continuing to be cautious about who has access to our likeness or our voice or things that are unique to us online, right? Being careful about where we post things, who we share it with, and restricting who things are sh are shared with, maybe, might be a little bit too late for some of us, especially when it comes to audio, if you're a podcaster. Um, but definitely limit the social media, if you don't need it, to just, you know, people that actually need access to that. And then if you are sort of in doubt about something, I think it's safe to ask a question. So if you get a call from a family member and they're saying, hey, well, you know, I'm in trouble and your, your kind of radar sense goes up and you're thinking, hey, this might be a scam. It, it, it's okay. And I think you should talk to your family members about saying, hey, I'm going to ask you, you know, a, a question that only you're going to know the answer to something that's not publicly known, something that hasn't been posted on social media or, or put somewhere and uh, just sort of verify you are who you say you are. Or another thing that we talked about in my family is we're going to pick a safe word or a code word that you could ask the person for, you know, just some random word that you all agree upon and don't tell anybody else about. Again, don't post anywhere or put it on social media and just say, look, you know, if, if in doubt, I'm going to ask you for this code word. And if you don't get that code word, then you know, hey, this isn't real. This is probably an AI chatbot or, or some, some, something impersonating one of your family members. So it's just kind of interesting how technology changes and the fact that we kind of have to have this conversation. But I, it did kind of come up for me this week. I had a conversation, like I said, with my family about it, came up. And I, I think it's going to happen more and more as these AI technologies evolve and get more sophisticated and stuff like that. We're going to have to be a lot more cautious and a lot more alert. I think even um, Steve Wozniak commented on this on this this week saying, hey, this technology is here. It's only going to get better. We have to be aware of it. We have to talk about it and we have to protect ourselves uh, when it comes to these kinds of technologies. The world is advancing very, very quickly in, in this space. And, you know, some people are just, again, tally-ho and Wild West out there. And that's a little bit frightening and scary. I think companies like Apple are taking a little more cautious approach. Again, uh, Tim Cook was asked about this and uh, 
talked about it. I, I'm sure Apple's going to bring out technologies in the space. They already have some, right? We know about uh, machine learning and, and artificial intelligence that, you know, is in iPhoto. And it sounds like there's going to be some of those technologies and these new iPad apps for uh, Final Cut and, and, and uh, Logic Pro. So it's definitely coming. We're moving into that world. And uh, let's just all look out for each other out there. So that was everything that I wanted to talk to you about this week. Um, with that, that's going to do it for this episode. Before I leave you, uh, bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They're at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM9, and you can leave a voicemail there. If you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you can uh, find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And then finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast or find me on Instagram, just maccast on Instagram. But that is going to do it for now. Until next time. I will talk to you all again real soon. Mm-hmm.